Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the uh, the king of feedback himself. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? I actually can't hear myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my feedback. <laughs> That's all right. We're changing the tech today. I'm great. Feeling good. Back home, working in the studio. Brain is a little mushy, but feeling good, man. How are you? I love it. I, I love it. I've uh, um, you are just a bastion of love wherever you go, but I'm doing well. I'm feeling the love. Um, yeah, man. I like that you say that. I'm a, do you do you find me to be a beacon of love? Um, in the world, Sometimes yes, I, I do. Oh, and uh, you know, I also think that uh, you know, you're just out here bringing people joy. I try. <laughs> All I right. try. I try. So what's, what's going on this week? How are we doing? Oh, man. You know, we're just trying to make some movie magic, learning all about loans and stuff like that, and hopefully how to repay them. How about you? Done you anything be, fun this so week? I, so I've been watching Democracy Now! Oh. You know, which yeah. is like an amazing series. And there's one bit about a fake Hollywood producer. That's me. And in the <laughs> fake Hollywood producer, the actor goes, what do you do? Like, what do you actually do? And they go... I keep the money's dick wet so you can work. <laughs> so I think that's your new job. I think oh, you, I think I'll put that on LinkedIn right away. You need a business card. Denny Gallagher, <laughs> keeping that money's dick wet. <laughs> Good for you, Denny. Oh, man. Well, you know what segment each and every week? We're just going to skip all the pleasantries. It gets a dick wet every single week. It's this day music history. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. What do you got? Well, it's funny. We're talking about getting dick sweat because today it's about Michael Jackson. (laughs) So in this day, this is a crazy one. I didn't know about this. In this day in 1984, Michael Jackson catches fire. That's right. He signed a a collaboration with Pepsi. As you know, you know, in the late 80s, we had all the choice of a new generation ads and him, you know, hawking for Pepsi. But in 84, he had a... uh, his first uh, collaboration with Pepsi and on the shoot, something went horribly wrong with some stray pyro and it set his hair on fire. Now there's some interesting parts of this story. First was uh, the da- the scene was so dazzling. No one noticed his hair was on fire. Uh, and then he let out a frantic shout, a security aide ran to his side, extinguished the fire, giving him a bear hug, running fingers through his hair. But guess who this security guard is? Oh. Miko Brando, son of Marlon Brando, no. who apparently was a security aide of Michael Jackson. Miko Brando, you know, like how do you get Marlon Brando in the uh, in the mix here? Now he was taken to to a hospital where he was treated for second and third degree burns. He uh, spent some time there. He had to get some surgery. Apparently. Um, he was in a good mood. They played him his favorite film, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, good and he discharged himself. Now, he was charged. He was paid $5 million by Pepsi. Pepsi paid him an additional $1.5 million to, to settle being burnt. Now, here's where the story goes from funny to kind of strange, is he's so impressed with his care at this burn center, he donates the million and a half dollars to this burn center, where they open a 23-bed unit to treat people with severe burns. You know, this beautiful thing. You're like, wow, look, Michael really helped out. But guess what? This hospital closes 
in a year and a half. And guess who gets a $10 million Pepsi deal 18 months later? Michael Jackson. So I think his uh, his attachment to to this place was was fickle. I guess once his his uh, burns healed, he didn't feel like paying for it anymore. I don't know, but a strange situation all around, huh? I'm um, I'm 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 curious how. So was like the payment to the hospital a down payment to get to keep the work coming from Pepsi? I don't know how that works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where like you read this and you're like, well. The only good thing that came out of this was a 23-bed burn unit opening for a year and a half. I just yeah. thought that Michael Jackson might have been able to, uh, you know, round up the money and people to keep that place open, the place he yeah. cared so much about. But really, and what's what's Marlon Brando's son doing as the security aide? Do you think he was like just L.A. like I want a party dude and Jackson just gave him a job or he's a real security guy? I don't know. There's a lot of extra questions to this story. I feel like we could do a full full doc on it. Imagine if he's like the Chet Hanks of like 80s Hollywood. He's just yeah. like saying crazy shit, doing yeah, yeah. security. He's like Charlie Murphy without being funny. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because Michael has been in the news a lot this week. Uh, Eddie Murphy was on oh, yeah. uh, Jimmy Kimmel talking Love about that. the whole zoo that he, yeah. he he had there. And apparently it was like uh, way more chimps than just Bubbles. So kind of right. wonder why Bubbles was the one that got famous. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about the Bubbles story, but Bubbles got a little violent later in life, yeah. apparently. Yeah, um, I really like that. And every time I hear Eddie Murphy talk, I'm very impressed. And I like that story he told about the having the Good Times painting. Oh, yeah. And buying it, it from the Marvin Gaye estate for yeah. 50 grand. And now it's worth, you know, millions and millions. Smart guy, fun guy. I love Eddie Murphy. I'm pro Eddie Murphy. Brand new, uh, complete free plug here. Brand new Eddie Murphy movie out today. Him and Jonah Hill. You oh, is it out today? On Netflix. So. Jonah Hill fucked me up with that documentary. All I see oh. is me and Ian talked about it yesterday. Me and Ian Perkins, Sir Ian Perkins. How we're having a hard time uh, seeing Jonah Hill as funny anymore. Oh. Especially when he showed up with the crazy beard and long hair in that movie. I only see the dude on the couch now. <laughs> and that at any time he's going to take off the fake hair like he did in the yeah, doc. Yeah, yeah, I just expect him to be really sad holding an iced coffee now. <laughs> Aren't we all? Anyway, that's pretty much the name of this podcast. All right. <laughs> really Benny, on sad this... <laughs> holding an iced coffee with Denny Gallagher. <laughs> uh, Ding-a-ling-a-ling. Oh, my God. I should never show the coffee water off on the cam. It's disgusting. But all right. All right. What do you got? What do you on got? On this day in 1973, Superstition, the lead single on Stevie Wonder's talking album, became the number one single in the U.S. Uh, Ten years after his first hit, uh, Jeff Beck, a guy who we talked about last week because he passed, uh, created the original drum beat while in studio with Stevie Wonder. Um, yeah. After writing the song, Wonder offered it to Beck for his rec record, but Barry Gordy got in the way and was like, you cannot take business away from yourself. Uh, wow. Kept it with Stevie, and as I say, the rest is history. So this day, wow. 1953. Very interesting. So Jeff Beck nearly got that song. Yeah. And in those hands, I'm not sure if that song does the same thing. That's a yeah. that's an interesting what if for sure. But Jeff Beck or Original drum beat. I wonder what he was driving around L.A. listening to while while making that drum beat. Yeah, I'm interested, too, because I know Stevie Wonder played a little drums as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So I don't know. That's a, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of that session. Yeah. So who, who knows? Maybe one day uh, the same lineage that that song has the tune up uh, theme song that you did. Be like, someone put words to it. Make a billion dollars. That's it. Billion dollars. 
Oh, sell boy. that to the hedge fund, baby. <laughs> Speaking oh, of which, Gabe's coming up just a little bit, but first, Ticketmaster. All right, Benny. Tick, you know, we talked about the Ticketmaster story when it came to Bruce Springsteen, but man, these Taylor Swifties, they got on the internet and they did some damage all the way up to the highest court in the land. Senators grilled Ticketmaster in Live Nation Tuesday, questioning whether the company's dominance in the ticketing industry led to a spectacular breakdown during last year's sales uh, during a, a Taylor Swift concert. Um, the president of Live Nation and their chief financial officer got up and talked about how uh, they only own 5% of the venues in the country. Um, and then Stub, uh, excuse me, SeatGeek CEO got back up and was like, well, if you make a deal with one of these other venues, uh, Live Nation does a good job of boxing people out. Um, turned into all-out warfare when uh, the songwriter of the band Lawrence, you know, their, their famous pop band out of New York. Um, also, this kid's brown educated, so a pretty good person to have on the side of artists up there on Capitol Hill. Um, he laid out the entirety of what's wrong, including getting into Live Nation and their merchandise deals that they have a lot with a lot of these venues. Right, um, he yeah. wants bands to have the ability to negotiate with the ticket masters and, and seat geeks of the world. So a lot of advocacy, but first we'll start off here. Do you think that this was a lot of hot air or do you think that actual change is going to come from this? I, I mean, we, we, we discussed this a lot on the show and if there's anything I believe business to always be is interested in their own self-interest. Yeah. And if there's anything a mob of Taylor Swift fans can do, it's changed cultural sway and it's changed the way you think about something. And I think the fact that this is headline news and there's like this, you know, team of, I, I got to imagine young people, which is always people who are, you know, spearheading stuff like this are making people aware and finding other avenues and other artists coming up might find other avenues. So yes, I do think it's useful. I don't, know how much this is going to break down like the big time business model of the things we're looking at because like i've talked about before Ticketmaster, live nation SeatGeek, they're all monsters they're all going to get on a golf course together and they're all going to figure out a way to make as much money as possible off of us that's what they do and i trust them to do that so them yapping at each other on on you know in a court proceeding is is just again acting in their own self-interest um so i don't really think there's some like beef between these companies and one of them is going to get cooler than the other one they always work together and that's how they keep the business bottom line you know but do i think it's important yeah i think it's important um and even the last thing you talked about i mean if you talk to a touring band uh and the ways they can make revenue um and the ways that they get fucked, the merch rates at venues is one of the most preposterous things that did just start happening. Um, it's one of those deals that like uh, it, it kind of just got slipped in over the years and, and some places would do it and you'd be like, ah, oh, fuck, this place sucks. You got to give them 20 percent and this and that. But then as you know, the 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 lawsuit is talking about is you wind up on these tours and you're paying 25% cold rates at every single place. And people are wondering why shirts are too expensive and why bands can't tour. And it's just these little cuts and it's these little places where they take as much as they can get. Um, and they're hurting their own industry by, you know, as a result. So at some point, 
I think it's going to fit their business bottom line to actually treat this situation better. But I do not think it's from any uh, point of doing what's right or altruism. And that's why it's so important for people to raise their voice and for people to stop buying products they don't want. Because the only way to get these motherfuckers to act is to punch them in the wallet, you know? Have we gotten to the point with Live Nation and Ticketmaster where some of these newer venues that are are being built, some really nice venues in very nice locations are actually being like financed by Live Nation and Ticketmaster, kind of like the studios did with the movie theaters in the 50s and 60s? Not Ticketmaster, but Live Nation, a thousand percent. Um, Live Nation went up and bought the Knitting Factory franchise, the uh, the Fillmore franchise. You you ever wonder why there's a Fillmore <laughs> popping up in every city in America right now? It's because of Live Nation. Um, so they are one thousand percent doing that, and they have the money to go into these cities. You know, take like an old theater, this old beautiful theater that no one else had the money for, and they can fix it up, and they can basically put everything they want in there. Put someone in there that's booking their bands and their tours. And yeah, and that part of it is an absolute monopoly. And if you're actually getting hundreds of millions of dollars in funding to like, you know, fix up an old theater, like the things it takes to get that thing to go, and then you open it and you can't book a fucking band in there. Yeah, it's a problem, you know? So um, Ticketmaster is not part of that, but Live Nation a thousand percent is. And as usual, if anyone from Live, like they pay me all the time. (laughs) And, you know, like... So if anyone's listening, like, I don't know. Sorry. (laughs) That would 100% explain why in this whole thing, they didn't even talk about the alcohol sales at the venue, which they had, which Live Nation and Ticketmaster have stayed away from. They talked about like the band's merch and stuff like that. And I've been bringing, honestly, I've been bringing that up to people for years. I'm like, all right, if they're cutting our merch, we cut their bar. And if they don't give us a percentage of the bar, then we don't play there. But you know what the problem is? I don't have someone on the staff of my band to manage what the fuck is happening at bars in some giant venue. And if they're giving you the right amount of money and, you know, like, who knows? It's a whole nother industry that's got nothing to fucking do with us. So it's it's a problem. Um, Yeah. And I hope we find a more equitable solution soon. You almost went full James Dolan there. Did you see that this week where he was like, I'm going to cut out the bar at MSG for a <laughs> random Ranger or like Nick's game. JD in the smooth <laughs> shot, baby. Oh, uh, but that was so crazy. He went on MSG and was like, yeah, like if because uh, he feels like he's being targeted by like the New York State, like liquor license and stuff like that. He was like, I'm just going to stop selling alcohol at my game. Doesn't bother me. I've been sober 29 years. Yeah, yeah. Right. Good so move. Crazy. All right. All right, Benny. You know, this is one of our favorite sweet spots on this podcast is when people get the bag for selling their catalog and the latest to do so is Justin Bieber. Biebs. Biebs. Uh, all right. Justin Bieber has sold his catalog up until this point uh, to Hypnox. Oh, my gosh. Here we go again. Hypnosis, <laughs> song capital for a reported $200 million. Um, this includes songs like, uh, sorry and baby two big ones. Um, the firm now owns, uh, a big stake in a lot of the pop music that has come out in recent years, but here, here's what I don't understand about this, Benny. You know, we've seen this with like your Springsteens, your, your people that are up there in age. Bieber's 28. Don't you think? And you hear all the time about these hedge funds talk about, you know, the only recession proof commodity is, is music and people buying all of it. 
why, if you're that young, would you want to get rid of it this early? Um, there, well, there's a bunch of things I wonder about here. And, and even so to answer your first question, I think there could be the possibility, like you're not selling everything you're making in perpetuity from now on. So, you know, if like you're Justin Bieber and you started making songs when you were a teenager, I can't imagine he fucking probably just gets slammed on fucking publishing stuff for that old stuff. Cause there's probably a ton of co-writers and a ton of people who have their hands in the pot. And I'm sure Justin Bieber makes a ton of fucking money. I'm not saying that, but a lot of other people probably do too. And so, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind when I hear this is like, sure, Justin Bieber just sold all of his old stuff for $200 million. What's stopping him from, from this point on at 28 for the rest of his career of self-funding his own music, owning his own publishing. And now you got this bag of cash and then you have another 20, 30 year career of your own shit that you own. Um, so I think that's like maybe what he's doing, you know, uh, and apparently, according to the story, you know, I'm not too hip on it. But by, by the end of this year, something is happening with capital gains taxes. It's going to make this much uh, less profitable to do by next year. So I think that's why some people were squeezing it in. So I think that would be the logic of someone like Bieber doing that. The thing I found interesting about this is seeing the names he's, you know, being sold against people who you would think, whoa, they have a much larger catalog. They're 40 years worth of songs got to be worth more than like, you know, a, a dozen Bieber hits or something like that. But I think this is like a futures bet by this hedge fund. You know, like one thing you got to start considering, it's like giving a long-term contract to a young player in a lot of ways and, and hoping something plays out because new music can sell old music. So I think when you are taking it into account, accounting wise with someone like Justin Bieber, the idea that like Justin Bieber could have another hit that's going to kickstart his old catalog is very in the cards. The idea that Neil Young is going to have another mainstream <laughs> hit, you know, unless he's in a Kate Bush situation, uh, it's probably not going to happen. So I think that's why you might see some younger artists starting to get these big these big bags for this stuff. I love it because I could see, you know, Bieber looking at this as like, you know, like when companies go public, they're trying to raise a bunch of capital to do some other business stuff to try to move on to the next yeah. sector of his life. So maybe we're getting an amusement park or something after that. <laughs> Everyone's Beaver, Beaver to Town. <laughs> Beaver Town. Come right on. next to uh, Got Yeti's Flavor Town. Beaver Town Flavor I'll Town. I'll go. <laughs> All right, Benny. Oh, let's get out of entertainment. Let's get out of sports. You know, we've come to science, please. This is a neglectful area. We used to do a lot more tech and science stuff here. Yeah. Only but a goodie here. Um, Benny, did you know the rotation of the Earth's inner core may have paused and it could even go in reverse? A new research study suggests. When I say those words to you, what do you think first before I get well, to this? List? I was really eager to hear the explanation of what this meant. Okay. Um, because. You know, one of the first things I thought of was like, how cool, <laughs> you know, like because I had no idea like the core of the earth sat in a molasses like gelatin that allowed it to spin freely inside of the earth. I had no idea that was going on. And it made me think of the earth as like a lacrosse ball or like, <laughs> you know, one of those balls that you can move and you feel an inside ball moving. And I'm like, wow, that's really interesting about something like that's going on in the inside and we're spinning the outside and there's all this movement. Like 
what a just cool thing to to consider in general. Um, I think one of the things I like the most about stories like this, and we talk about this a lot, is that you know these stories are a simple reminder to people about the the frailty of human life and and living with some humility. You know, like like sometimes when you read a story real quick and you're like, oh wait, what? The core is going to reverse. <laughs> or are we all dead? Because I was enjoying today, you know, and like, I, you know, I, I like that. And, and uh, you know, we don't make the damn choices on this earth. So we got to take it easy on each other and take it easy out there. And I a spinning core is, is something that uh, that that makes me feel good about that. But apparently, according to these scientists, they think it happens about every 70 years. And just this is when it starts spinning, going the other way. And it can change a lot about volcanoes and earthquakes and, uh, you know, continental drifts and make us understand a lot about the Earth. So I hope we know more and credit to the science community. Again, you know, this is one of those things that's like broken by, um, you know, reputable scientists in China, picked up by scientists all over all over the world. And I think, as usual, science can be looked at as a benchmark of of global community and how it can be done right i can't wait till people start using this kind of like they do astrology they'll be like oh like i'm having a bad day like the earth's yeah, core the just core, like oh, the core is yeah the core is at its most axis like oh yeah people are going to be burning sage about this in no time. Yeah. but no it's just like to you know because like we learn about it in like middle school science you know like the parts of of the earth and how we're all just every day just sitting on like a hot core that at any point could do whatever the heck it wants and we have have no control of so yeah man just the infinite universe stuff gosh now now i'm i'm, I'm back to up there on the hill benny well, again not, well and not even the infinite universe i mean that's the crazy thing about it is yeah. we know a lot more about the universe than we do about the the rock we're sitting on so, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> it feels like that's like like a James Cameron thing. Like like after James Cameron gets done exploring the sea that he's just going to start like plowing down there. Like he's going to remake yeah. Journey to the Center of the Earth, but for real this time. Well, I mean, I think that's what he's hoping for is that at some point keeping going down, you're going to find some more air down there. Yeah, that's what I think he's going for is to get through <laughs> the water stage. <laughs> he's going to have to go three miles deep instead of two. Every other, every other billionaire wants to go up. James Cameron's like, down, 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 down. down. Oh, man. All right, Benny. Do you want to move on to the hoops here? Or do you have Please. anything else about the Earth? Yeah, about right. the Earth? <laughs> no, I think I'm good. <laughs> All right. on the Earth. Speaking of out of this world, Giannis and LeBron James. They were named captains of the All-Stars uh, for the Western Conference and Eastern Conference, respectively. LeBron, this marks his 19th All-Star appearance, his sixth time as captain since the NBA moved to that format. Benny, we got to start off here because, you know, we'll get to the snubs and the All-Stars in just a, a little bit. But is it more impressive that LeBron is this close to history or that Giannis is popular enough worldwide to be captain again? No, I mean, the LeBron thing is definitely by far more remarkable. You know, the one thing I'm enjoying about the last couple of weeks as LeBron gets nearer and nearer to Kareem is the Kareem stories. You know, and I've heard some people say, and the more and more you hear it, you go, this is this the most like underrated athlete of all time? Maybe like you hear about these accomplishments, what he did, 
with his body, how cutting edge he was. The the fact that like, you know, um, it was like uh, almost in a like a Babe Ruthian sense where like the things he was doing were so strange at the time. I don't think people knew how to quantify it in a lot of ways. And now that someone like LeBron is doing it and we've watched the path and how hard it was and what, you know, phenomenal things that dude had to do to get there. Uh, yeah. I th- so, so to me, like the LeBron thing is by far the most remarkable uh, as far as that goes going for the point record for sure. Yeah. Um, Giannis being a wildly popular international player. Yeah. We all knew about that. He's like the most likable dude ever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it seems like, so, you know, I, I was eyeing the LeBron point total because we talked about it last week. I don't think it's going to happen at the Garden anymore. No, not anymore. He, he went for 45 one night, and I'm like, can he go for 45 for five straight nights and do it at Madison Square Garden? But Fair I think not. he went for like 20 the other night. But Yeah, not with the addition of Rui Hachimura taking his shot. <laughs> <laughs> Big trade from the week. Uh, Rui goes from the Washington Wizards to the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, Lakers add a guy who's getting about 13 points a game. They give up their highly coveted draft picks, or at least the way Rob Blinka coveted them. Um, but yeah, no, just a, another addition from the Lakers that uh, you you hope it makes it better, but it's like throwing paint against the wall at this point. I mean, I mean, you know, I like this one. It makes it marginally better. It was a player who you know, was blocked and maybe not getting the necessary minutes where he was. It's, it's low cost. It's second round picks. It's Kendrick Nunn. Um, so I, I thought it was a, a great buy low investment on a young player that, that could pan out in a certain way. Listen, guys look a lot fucking better when you're playing in a starting lineup with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, as opposed to what, who was he just playing with? Dellen Wright, Denny Avija, uh, Porzingis sometimes, Kyle Kuzma. So yeah, yes. like he might look a lot better now. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, we'll still go. Well, I there. picked him up in all three fantasy I basketball know. leagues. So. I texted you that, and 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 you're like, oh, I got to get in the playoffs. I got to pick up I was, Rui. Dude, it was it was an impulse thing. <laughs> impulse. I was like, gotta get Rui. I don't know why. <laughs> I love it. But let's go down the Eastern and Western Conference All Stars, shall we? Benny, I have our predictions here because we predicted the five. Oh, good. Um, all right. Good. Just you came with receipts. I just like just to refresh it in the East, Benny had Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, and Giannis. I had Mitchell, Halliburton, Giannis, Tatum, and Durant. So we both boxed out uh, Joel Embiid. And as it turns out, we were right. Eastern Conference, Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Giannis, and Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. So um, we both had Kyrie out. Yeah. So I think that's the the big. The, so that's what people are talking about, right? Kyrie yeah. over Harden. Yeah. yeah. See, and I think you had it right the first time. Why? Why can't you make the case for Halliburton over both of them? Yeah, I, w- I would one hundred percent do that. You know, yeah. like I, I mean, it's. It, I guess when you're, you know, a young player like that, you know, all that stuff comes In into India. play with. Oh, you know, they deserve it. They deserve it. But who do you think? Who who do you think you like more for that spot? Kyrie or Harden? Who got snubbed? I would probably say Harden just because, you know, to see. Well, the, the fact that Philly got snubbed in general here across the board, and we'll get to the MB stuff in a, a little bit. Um, but statistically, what Harden has been able to do, I mean, he does it every year like this, but I just think he's. I don't know. They're probably similar in, in games missed there, but uh, for importance to, to the team for this year, I definitely have to say that it's Harden over Kyrie as of right now. It, let me ask you this. Is yeah. this the downside to That's just being vote. generally unlikable? Cause 
I'm serious. Like, like Embiid, great. You know what I mean? The guy does nothing but talk shit. And there's certain players who come off better than Harden. Don't get me fucking started. If you're not in Houston <laughs> or Philadelphia, you fucking hate this guy more than anything. Like, like this, you know, 50% is the fan vote here. Like, like this stuff matters. People love Kyrie. Yeah. They love him. They love watching him play basketball. You know why? Because watching Kyrie Irving play basketball is more fun than Embiid and Harden. I'm not saying he's better, but, you know, like, I wonder how much of this one, since when you're dealing with something that's on a 50-50, you know, and it's it's give or take, those are the little things that matter. And, like, you know, those people being widely unlikable to most people who watch the game, especially over someone like Giannis, is true. Now, here's the thing about Embiid is, like, I'm hearing story after story about how Embiid got snubbed. I'm not hearing a lot... uh, set in stone about who should have been taken out instead of him. Yeah. Yeah. Cause nobody wants to do that. It's just nobody easier to, to say, it. yeah, yeah. But so, what are you going to do? You know, yeah, if, yeah. if you want to make a complaint about it, I think the major complaint to make is to take away uh positional restrictions on the all-star roster. Yeah. You want the five best players in the league, then, you know, let five centers be there if they have to be. Yeah. Um, but this idea that you have to build, a legitimate looking roster for uh, an exhibition game. Pretty stupid. Maybe yeah. now, you know, and, and maybe we should just be picking the 12 best players now. A hundred percent. And, and, and the players that will get the most uh, eyes in there. But I, I wanted to ask you about the Kyrie thing because, you know, numbers good. Maybe they're not all time Kyrie numbers, but did keeping his name in the news the way he did and when people went to go vote for it, granted, it's only 50% of the vote, but did that help? They're like, oh, Kyrie, for the casual. I know that guy. Solid yeah. season. Let me put him in. I got to be honest. Something about what happened to Kyrie made him more likable to most people. I don't know what to tell you. But like, he's turning into one of those people because of the way he presents himself. Kind of the constant line of bullshit. He's always feeding everybody, including himself. It's like when you say something a hundred times, enough people start to believe it that they think it's true. And I don't know. He's a magnetic guy. His teammates like him. He's interesting. He says weird things and and people fucking love him for it for whatever reason. And and somehow, you know, people on the outside who weren't affected by it thought the punishments he was getting were too severe for what he was doing and stuff like that. And somehow he became a bit of a you know, like a patsy and all this. And and that's, that's, it's shocking, but um, no, it's not that shocking. This is just how society plays out. <laughs> I think, you know, when you speak up or speak on enough liberal causes, like he does, you're bound to hit a decent, like he takes a lot of swings. So like, I think on like, you know, like the women's uh, on the WNBA getting charter jets, he had every single WNBA star, like, like supporting, putting, tweeting fists up, which uh, that was a lot more white fists up than I think he would like to see in the timeline. But, um, yeah, no, I, I just think the Kyrie enigma, it, it, it keeps people going. It's, unfortunate but uh statistically statistically if, if we're talking there it should have been mitchell and he, he's in there and it probably should have been harden or halliburton and i think halliburton is way more important to his team than james harden yeah and watch Kyrie's gonna be one of the first picks too oh <laughs> not of Giannis. listen Giannis. not Giannis. oh my gosh could oh yeah you know lebron's definitely picking Kyrie early is that 
how Giannis tanks his like global like love affair that people have with him. He, Kyrie, number one pick. <laughs> it would work. You know Giannis is going international as oh, fuck if he can. Yeah. He's he's picking every international guy if he can. Um <laughs> let's get to the Embiid stuff since we're still on the yeah. Eastern Conference. Uh you know, we talked about that three horse race conversation with Durant, Jason Tatum, and Giannis. And I I think it's interesting, and this could be a complete coincidence, that the highest vote-getters are the guys that have either won a championship or have been in the finals, where I think a lot of uh, people where there's the most eyeballs on the sports and have performed very well in that stage. So is this just a, a case of Philly didn't turn out, which could also be the possible, the focus on the birds right now, or is it the fact that in order to take that next step and truly be respected in a legendary status, you got to get to the finals and show out? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Listen, Philly's one of the biggest cities in America. This isn't like a tiny market, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's a substantial city with a huge fan base, and I don't think and a rabid fan base at that. So uh I don't think that's you. No, I think you might you probably you probably hit on something there. I mean, Embiid in a lot of ways to your novice fan is looked at as somebody who's hurt all the time, somebody who chokes in big games, somebody who can't get past that next step. You know, uh, somebody who bitches about his teammates and bitches about his situation sometimes and comes off a little weird. So I think there's a lot to that. Um, and the idea that uh, I think Tatum, you know, in a normal world would have been left off if his team didn't do what they did last year. And so I think you make a good point. And that's probably that's probably got got something to do with it. I don't know why you like you brought up Embiid choking in big games. And I thought of Ben Simmons, just a quick aside. I saw this story. Uh, ben Simmons spent 800 K on an engagement ring. They called off the engagement. Uh, the girl wants to keep it. He wants it back and it could get in, in legal trouble. Oh my What's God. your take on, on engagement rings? Well, I never bought one that cost $800,000. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> You know, we don't know that situation, okay? I'm not going to get involved there because because maybe Honey was only in it for the ring oh, and no. he knew it and, yeah. and he's like, fuck her. Like, I don't know, man. But yeah. that's his personal bit. You know what I'm worried about? What are you worried I'm about? I'm worried about his goddamn shot. That's no. what I'm worried about. And, you know, let's talk about this game that happened the other day because because yeah. we're on Philly and Ben Simmons right now. Like, that Philly-Brooklyn game was fun. Yeah. Um And... You know, one of the cool, one of the funny things about being a Nets fan is you hear a lot from like Sixers fans, Knicks fans, but there's never really been a rivalry. You know, the time the Nets were good, um, and especially in, you know, those late 90s, early 2000s teams. Um, yeah, like the Knicks sucked. Sixers sucked like that. Like the, the Nets had their number then, and then the Nets sucked when they were good. And there's never actually been like a, even though like Philly and New York hate each other, there's never really been a palpable rivalry because of the circumstances now. Holy shit. I mean, <laughs> Harden fled this team. Simmons fled that team, you know, Embiid, Durant, like now you're going back and forth time and time again. And it's like, it's becoming a thing. And um, if you actually keep like Embiid and Harden together and Kyrie and KD together, and they keep playing this much and seeing each other in the playoffs. Yeah. We might be really looking into, like a serious rivalry, like, you know, this is where Ben Simmons is so polarizing, right? Cause he comes out and you're like, this is essentially a point guard or someone who can run the point who's challenging Joel Embiid in the paint and doing a pretty fucking good job. 
you know, and the, the things he can do and he can offer on that end are so dynamic and you watch him race down with the ball and get the offense started. Like, uh, it's, it's such a frustrating thing to watch. Cause if you're just like, if you just redevelop some version of an aggressive offensive game, some spot on the floor, you can do it, you know, go be Sean Livingston, right? Remember Sean Livingston? Yeah, of course. Sean Livingston found one place on the floor <laughs> that he could score whenever he wanted, right? Mm-hmm. If you gave Sean Livingston the the side of the hoop from six to eight feet, a little turnaround, automatic. You know what I mean? Like, just find one fucking <laughs> shot, one place that you're comfortable, your little comfort zone, floater, anything, just to keep people honest. Because it, it really is. It's such a frustrating player to watch with the... Uh, the amount of talent you see and the things that could be done with a player like that, with just a couple little things, you know? Um, yeah, it's huge. And the free throw thing is still a fucking problem. I wish I didn't have to talk about it, but the second he gets in a game in the playoffs, they're going to hack the shit out of him. And it's definitely going to happen. So another thing that needs to be fixed. It's almost like he didn't play enough basketball coming up, whether via LSU or early in his career. To develop like the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, listen, we got to take the Brock Purdy approach, you know, <laughs> you got to start taking people with some, some minutes under their belt. Look at these James Wiseman's, you know, like look, look at these kids. They just don't play enough. You got to play to get good kids. That's what I'll tell you today. You got to learn the sport. (laughs) All right, Benny. Let's go to the Western Conference, shall we? Uh, LeBron is the captain there. We had, um, you had Luka, Ja, Jokic, Zion, and Laura Markkinen. I had Steph, Doncic, uh, LeBron James, Jokic, and Sabonis. And the result is we have LeBron James, Jokic, Zion Williamson, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic. So... A nice combination of uh, two things. I got Zion. You got Steph. Yeah. I should have taken Zion. I I just thought that people would hold it against him. How how many games he missed. I mean, they should have like that. That's probably the strangest one on here, you know, but I think you ran into a unique thing that Anthony Davis and him both just were the clear favorites for that position and both missed a ton of games. So it's like, like a tit for tat situation. Um, I think Ja deserved their uh, deserve that spot over Steph this year, mm. um, myself. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a pretty fair thing. Um, so let's let's talk a little about this new format, shall we? Okay. The now, which part? The street ball draft. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, like this worked really well last year, right? Yeah. You know, like uh, people talking shit, LeBron and his clipboard. You know, like, like giving the little like wink to this guy, the little fuck you to this guy. There's a there was a lot at play there last year with those two talking shit to each other, and no one was in the room. I've been a part of a lot of random basketball drafts before games, and it's a weird thing. Okay, it makes you feel weird if you're the first pick. You feel oh, some nine. pressure, yeah. like, hey, I was the first pick, like I got to show up. Or if you're the last pick. Ugh. You know, that's, it says something, and, and everybody takes the last pick with kind of a, hey, sorry. Uh, yeah, I'll take you. You're the last one. And that's going to happen here, and it's going to happen live. <laughs> and the one thing this league needs, I do think, is like some of that real pitting rivalry again, where like, you know, there is, I do love the fact that players are friends these days. I think it's good. I don't think people need to be dicks to each other. I like it. 
but this could cause some like really interesting fun things that go into the playoffs especially the way people draft so uh i i couldn't be more excited about this new format it will be the most controversial thing that's happened in utah since michael jordan had a bad slice of pizza <laughs> like we're just gonna see because you know it's gonna happen it's either gonna I, I think the last pick is either gonna be james harden or trey young and it's just gonna get solved now someone's gonna make a point with harden oh and like take him up top because like, wasn't he the last pick last year yeah exactly yeah. like like this is where and that's another thing especially when you're dealing with people like Le- lebron is like you know there's an intention to a lot of what he does um so you gotta watch out for stuff like that like you know lebron is trying to get people to come to the lakers still he's trying to you know like he's he's wheeling and dealing like he could be choosing someone because he wants Bronny to play with him in like That's three right. years like he's he's always up to something so you gotta pay attention to it I'm just curious what the angle is now because he made no bones about wanting Las Vegas as a a franchise. So is it he's going in the 25 to 21 demo to already try to tamper for a future Las Vegas franchise that he wants to own? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Is is like every move he makes is calculated. There's going to be oh. nothing about this. So it's like it's not like he doesn't think he can win the All-Star game, you know, drafting Luka. But like, does that help him in the future? I don't know. I, I think I think Giannis is probably trying to draft to win this game. Yeah, and LeBron is drafting first for for the future here. As my buddies Amino Hassan and George Sedano say, LeBron does not leave breadcrumbs; he leaves whole loaves of bread. That's right. So. That's right. If there's anything we learn about that dude, it's uh, unless he's talking about China, <laughs> it's very deliberate, and he knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> All right. Benny, well, speaking of a whole loaf of bread, do you want to talk about what happened with the Warriors this week? <laughs> mouthpiece we gate. Oh, mouthpiece gate. As I, oh my goodness. Uh, we have another Warriors dust up. And once again, it involves Jordan Poole, who may not have done any, anything wrong. He's just around highly competitive individuals, but we don't know. On Wednesday, with Golden State leading Memphis by just two points with a minute and 14 seconds to go, Steph Curry. Clapped at Jordan Poole. He wanted the ball. He had a shot. Instead, Poole uh, channeling his inner uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman from uh, Along Came Polly just shot up, took rain it. Rain dance. It. <laughs> rain dance. Um, did not make it. And this caused, on the way back, uh, Steph Curry looked at him furiously, threw his mouthpiece at Jordan Poole. So it, for those who are playing along at home, Jordan Poole has gotten sucker punch and a mouthpiece yeah. thrown at him. Does he have an HR violation here? I mean, dude, I, I mean, it's like, this is where I got to know, like, you know, you know, that like dude in the crew who like everybody makes fun of everybody, like kind of gives a hard time. They take it well because maybe they're like either too dumb to notice or just have kind of like a good vibe about him. But if someone else starts fucking with him, you're going to kick their ass like like he's still one of yours. <laughs> I'm starting to get the impression Jordan pulls like that. <laughs> I think that's the only explanation for this is like, this is the type of guy in the locker room, like a Grant Williams type, I guess, who either just like annoys people or is so like aloof or something that like, because people aren't treating this guy right. And they obviously like are, you know, they appreciate his game, 
and they know they need his game currently to to stay afloat because that lineup looks pretty good with him out there. But there's something between this team and that guy. And I really I wouldn't be shocked if like we saw some some kind of move revolved around that. Like like when there's smoke, there's fire, right? Like yeah. there's, there's got to be something here, especially this is Steph Curry. It's the most vanilla fucking NBA player there's ever been. He never says anything wrong. Fiery competitor, but like, you know, this is like one of the cleanest dudes in the league. And like, and, and always so supportive of the teammates, always saying the right thing about his teammates. There's got to be something here. I think it's really clear that the dynasty guys, like the Warriors dynasty guys, don't respect the other guys. And, uh, you know, they just go along on this way each and every time just trying to make the most of a bad situation but yeah no like the way that they he just went out and a has talked a little bit too much shit and then came back and then there's just a the whole steph curry situation now it seems like a, a lot to deal with and they definitely don't respect the guys that weren't there for the dynasty like a hundred percent oh yeah you think that's what it is yeah but your boy Dante's doing i mean like yeah. he seems he's like well liked well, over there I mean, he he came from a winning situation, so they're like, "Hey, man, there's a there's a cover charge to get into this club, and that you have to make a deep playoff run, yeah, not I, ride on our coattails," which is ironic. Yeah. Listen, I'm a pragmatic person, and <laughs> the way Jordan Poole's been playing the last month or two, that's not the problem. Yeah. You know, there's something else going on behind the scenes there. I mean, dude, we don't talk like. The Warriors are an exceptional team in the idea that, like, you know, we're midseason. We talk about, like, oh, the Hawks. What are we going to do about the Hawks? Or what are we going to do about... How does the Warriors get away with this shit? Their longtime Hall of Fame power forward kicked the shit out of their shooting guard, like, two weeks before the season, and they're not playing that well. Like, yeah. like I don't know why. They're just like that team that gets a pass for some reason. Like, imagine if this happened to the Sacramento Kings and be like, oh, same old. Or the Knicks or like, you know, like anybody else, like the Warriors do. They get like some kind of free pass. And maybe it's because of what we talked about earlier. Like Steph Curry and Clay got a lot of cultural equity. You know, (laughs) people always want to be around the winners that, you know, that they want to. Hey, can I try on on your ring? And so, yeah, yeah, right, right, right happens every time anyway as we wrap up here uh, we just want to give a melancholy i guess happy trails announcer billy packer who called the who was the voice of the ncaa tournament for many years for decades died on thursday his son announced in a tweet he was 82 years old he broadcast ncaa games for cbs starting in the early 1980s um really saw the ncaa tournament become uh from a it was decent size, but I, I think in you know those like early 2000s to like 2010s, it really became a TV spectacle not to miss. Um, uh, the, the the cause of death was kidney failure, and he, after he was hospitalized in Charlotte, North Carolina. So uh, Billy Packer, the voice of uh, March Madness, uh, passed away at the age of 82. So yeah, just want to throw a, that in there at the end. Yeah, certainly a voice I'll remember. And maybe the most interesting thing about him was. Uh, Hiring a psychic to find the weapon in the O.J. Simpson murder. Yeah, they had an interesting. I don't know the story. Yeah, yeah. Wait, Go read wait. the Wikipedia. Okay, okay, okay. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, well anyways, again, contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneup podcast at gmail.com. Two peas in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, we have that tuneup HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. YouTube. That's right. YouTube has handles now. So tune up HQ there. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're watching. Thank you. Uh, if you're not, where you've been. Uh, if you want to follow the big man on Instagram, he is at Benny Horowitz. 
I'm at Denny Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, I think it's time we invite uh, Bronny James on the show. Oh, I think we got to get him now. You yeah. know, like, uh, yeah, let, let, let's book him now before he's too big. OK, I don't have a Bronny connection, but I have a Wembenyama connection. I don't know which. How's your French? Wee <laughs> wee. The show has ended. Go in peace. Thank you for watching and listening to the tune up.